bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. I'm Paul Dragu. We're glad you can join us. Here at The New American, we take the most important news stories, we lose the propaganda, and we bring you the truth. And that makes us one of the most censored and attacked publications in America. So if you enjoy the show, please share these episodes with others. Now, in Fort Collins, Colorado, they're building a new $12 million taxpayer-funded lab, a lab that will import bats from around the world to experiment on dangerous diseases. Also, despite all the inter-party fights over the issue in the last few months, Congress continues spending and borrowing money we don't have. And just before the New Hampshire primary, DeSantis calls it quits and gets behind Trump. We have all that coming up, as well as a look at the pro-life march in D.C. that happened on Friday. But first, this year's World Economic Forum in Davos ended on Friday. The main theme was continuing the work of COP28 by pushing to end fossil fuel use worldwide. But it didn't stop there. We're going to look at a series of clips illustrating the insane and destructive policies these people want implemented around the world. And make no mistake, without resistance, their ideas will come to haunt us, just as we're now suffering the consequences of the 90s era green agenda. So, Bill Anderson, the CEO of Bayer AG, says that we should ban rice farming. Listen. In most of Asia, rice is still grown with traditional methods, which requires flooding the fields. And when you flood the fields, you, you basically kill the weeds with water, um, which sounds good, except it takes huge amounts of water. They basically decompose underwater, and when they do that, they release methane. And so actually rice production is one of the largest producers of methane, which is you know, many times more, more toxic in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. And here's environmental activist Jojo Meta proposing an entirely new category of crimes against humanity that the International Criminal Court should prosecute, ecocide. Because one of the issues that sort of pervades all of this discussion is that we have a kind of cultural, very ingrained habit of not taking damage to nature as seriously as we take damage to people and property. Um, and that, I mean, you know, if you're campaigning for human rights, at least you know mass murder, torture, all of these things are serious crimes. But there's no equivalent in the environmental space. Um, and so, and, and you know, unlike a an international crime like genocide that in, involves a specific intent. With ecocide, what we see is actually what people are trying to do, what businesses are trying to do is make money, is, you know, is farm, is fish, is do all of these things that are um, you know, producing energy and so on um, as well. But what's, it, what's missing is the awareness and the conscience around the side effects, around the collateral damage that happens with that. And look how excited they are about new technology that will track your carbon footprint down to everything you buy. Where we are trying to measure the footprint throughout the value chain. And what would that give us? Yeah? I would have a bottle like this and I could tell you from the iron ore to the logistics to the glass, what is the carbon footprint of this bottle? And then I could price it. And I could tell you now you are doing good because you now pay 20 cents more, but you are very conscious that you have a green product. Yeah. Yeah. You got that? Sure. You'll pay more, but you're conscious because you bought a green product. You get extra food allowance for being good. And what would a meeting of elitist ignoramuses who want to control your life be without environmental guru Al Gore? The fossil fuel polluters 
use a portion of their wealth from digging up dead things uh, from the earth and burning them in ways that destroy the future of humanity. They use some of their wealth uh, to confuse people. I get a little exercised about this uh, because I've watched it for a long time and it's driven by pure greed. Pure greed. If we deploy electric vehicles, solar, wind, batteries, green hydrogen, and the rest, and we get to true net zero, temperatures on the earth will stop going up almost immediately. And in case you're confident that this scheme will fall apart once people become wise to them, well, the Weffers have a plan for that too. Disinformation is a security threat. And uh, maybe not many noticed, but it was part of the Russian military doctrine that they will start information war. And we are in it now. And this information is a very powerful tool. We are focusing on uh, uh, improving of the system where the people will get the facts right. We don't speak about opinions. We are not correcting anyone's opinions or language. Yeah. Unless, of course, your opinion is wrong. Now, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres called for an overhaul of the current financial system. The institutions and frameworks of global governance, from the Security Council to the Bretton Woods system, were created 80 years ago. We can't build a future for our grandchildren with a system built for our grandparents. The United Nations is fully engaged this year in efforts to bring them up to date rooted in equality and solidarity based on the UN Charter and international law. And as for those countries in the Global South, this Brazilian shaman gave her cough of approval. So join me to discuss today's stories is executive senior editor of the New American, Steve Bonta. <coughs> hmm, sorry. Uh, Steve, I think that was perfect. I get COVID just, just watching that video. This just shows how crazy <laughs> these people are. Well, okay. So here's the thing. With all due respect to the Brazilian shaman community, I don't know that they're qualified to tell the rest of us what we ought to be doing policy-wise. Um, let's see where to begin. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. It's all yours from here. And, and again, you know, a lot of this is carryover from cop 28, which I had the dubious fortune of experiencing firsthand in a month and a half ago. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that's the, the is agenda carryover from cop 28. The Davos conference is designed to be the, the first kind of the agenda setting meeting for the globalists every year. That's why they hold it the in January. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, <laughs> you know, but, but one thing I saw in Dubai uh, and my colleagues, Bill Jasper and, and, um, and Alex Newman have experienced many times is these people are nothing if not theatrical. <laughs> they do know how to put on an, an entertaining show. They're propagandists. No, but, you know, but, but, you know, leaving aside the, you know, the coughing lady, how about Al Gore and that, ca that burning kangaroo in the background? Yes, I mean, yes, for know. a listening view, yes. Yeah, sure. As if Australia is not a torrid 
semi-tropical to tropical desert country with frequent brush fires, mm-hmm. you know, but but it's all global warming and yeah, the planet's on as fire. It, and so as, and so as if that hasn't been happening for thousands yeah, of years yeah. there. So, so, but I mean, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, this is, you know, th- this has been part and parcel of the way they do things from the original, per- but I think the, the original Rio meeting that, that Bill covered. 1992. Back in 1992 in Rio de Janeiro, where they started this whole global, in, well, I mean, where they decided that globalism was it, that its primary pretext would be in in the name of saving the climate and the world, the environment writ large. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the two have been have been the radical environmentalism and globalism have been joined at the hip ever since. Okay, and from that meeting forward, every one of these major globalist events always they always bring in some shaman or somebody like that, some colorful fakir from from India or whatever, as eye candy. Yeah, probably as a distraction because they must have known that. Everybody would be running clips of the coughing lady and saying, oh, isn't that ridiculous? And, of course, you know, just dissolving the laughter and, and not focusing on the very serious aspects of the very mm. serious and real agenda that's being implemented. Guterres mentioned in his, in his remarks that the next step is going to be the summit for the future. Big summit to be held in New York City this September, which we will be covering, okay, in which they are going to try to completely overhaul the, both the international financial and banking architecture and the architecture of what they call global governance. Yes. Okay. The United Nations system. So it's due for, it's going to have a huge overhaul. And of course that overhaul is not going to be them saying, well, okay, we're going to step back and we're not going to try to make it into a world government anymore. We're going to weaken these institutions and make it more, uh, you know, whatever. No, they're going to try to strengthen them. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. And just because they look so stupid, we need to take them seriously. Up next, the spending continues under MAGA Mike and DeSantis drops out of the presidential race. Self-reliance. It's not a phrase we hear much in our culture these days. It might conjure up images of pioneers, the West, rifles, strapping men and strong women. But what does it mean for us in today's world? The New American Magazine has just released its latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. In it, the New American authors outline the necessity of self-reliance for a free people, tips for self-reliant living, and the importance of not giving up hope. This unique edition includes articles on the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearms, financial self-reliance, the importance of community, and many other topics by expert writers. Now, for a limited time, the New American is offering a bundle of three collector's editions, self-reliance, The Great Reset, and Trump World for just $19.95. A great stocking stuffer available at shopjbs.org. Visit shopjbs.org today. For more news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than the New American. You can subscribe online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top, and then on the drop-down, hit the subscribe button. Or, if you prefer, you can call for a subscription. Call 1-800-727-8783, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783. Welcome back, folks. The borrow and spend gravy train continues unabated on the watch of new House Speaker Mike Johnson. Late last week, MAGA Mike's House agreed with the Senate to another continuing resolution to keep the government funded through March. Meanwhile, they promised they'll get it right next time. 
While not all House Republicans supported the measure, enough of them did to enable a unanimous Democrat vote to pass the CR. Congress rushes to pass a bill to avoid a government shutdown, at least for now. Sharon Roger joining us with the latest from Capitol Hill. Sharon? Yeah, Jim, Angie, the winter weather expected in D.C. tomorrow likely added to the pressure to hold a vote today ahead of Friday's deadline. Congress took the crucial step earlier this evening, voting to pass a short-term spending bill to President Biden. If signed by the president, the measure will keep agencies open. Again, this is just temporary until March 1st, which is now the new shutdown deadline. About half of of House Republicans joined Democrats today in passing this stopgap measure, but some on the far right are so skeptical of using the temporary measure again for the third time. We recognize that a partial government shutdown will hurt everyday Americans, hurt the economy, and hurt the ability of the federal government to meet the needs of the American people. Yeah, I don't believe we should fund the government through continuing resolution. Uh, I think that it, uh, it departs from the expectation that things in the federal budget will get itemized review. Next time, they assure us, they're going to finally get the southern border under control and end the practice of omnibus spending. They just need one more round of unconditional omnibus spending before they do the right thing. And if you believe that, I've got a used electric car to sell you. All right, Steve. This, um, you brought this up. I'm giving you credit where credit belongs. And that is, it sounds like the approach of a junkie. One more time, man. Just one more time. And this will be the last time. And then I'll get my right. act together. Yeah, well, and that's not intended to be either hyperbole or humor. That's, that's, how, that's how the ad addicted mind behaves. Just one more time. One more fix, and then I'm through. Okay? And that's precisely what they do in Congress, and, and not a few Republicans, as well as the unanimous Democrat caucus in the House and, of course, in the Senate, as well as in the White House. They are literally addicted to debt and spending. And lest that seem hyperbolic, consider that things like addiction to gambling are, you know, th these are regarded as pathologies that people deal with. So, so even Can though- Can that be applied to a- like a collective? Well, I, I think people, you know, people, I've known many people who are, I mean, there's really no way to characterize it other than to say that they're addicted to debt. They always say, oh, I'm going to get out of debt, and they never do. You know, they, they we all have the, that friend who is you know, gain, gainfully employed or relative, gainfully employed, et cetera, et cetera, and they, they're going to pay their debt off. And if they actually do, by some quirk of, uh, of fate, pay off their debt, two weeks later, they bought themselves a new camper. Or something else that they just have to have, you know, because yeah. they they can't live within their means. This is a psychological condition, and it clearly afflicts most, not all, but most of the Congress critters and all of the obviously all the K Street lobbyists and all of the other the, the people, the, all their you know hordes of enablers inside and outside the Beltway. Yeah, they just and and the illusion is sustained because we never seem to pay a price for it. Yeah, we get a little inflation now and then an occasional recession, but we've never had an Argentina or Weimar Germany-esque economic, you know, full-bore economic implosion or financial collapse that has, you know, served to chasten us. And there are reasons for us, we don't, this we don't have time to get into, but this is the problem. And I greatly fear that until we experience what, what Javier Millet's Argentina has experienced, we're not going to get to the point where there's going to be enough reservoir of resolve among those who make these decisions to say, okay, enough is enough. What about MAGA Mike here? There are rumors and rumblings that motion to vacate is coming. 
anything to that? What have you heard? Well, we'll see. I mean, it's probably going to be just looking at it politically. It would be very bad optics for them to to cashier another House speaker <laughs> with the election season gearing up, because obviously then the Democrats will, t- will will point to that and say, see, you can't trust this party to be in charge. Yeah. They're too unstable. They don't know how to govern. Uh, they're do- it's a house divided against itself and so forth and so and on. And that's the threat. This is the calculus that I'm sure even the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Matt Gaetzes mm-hmm. of the house are weighing in their minds yeah, right yeah, now. I mean, we've, we've heard some of these people, uh, the MTGs and Matt Gates. I think it was, was it MTG or someone, Anna Polina, it may have been, who was saying that the way they're being threatened with this is that it's going to come back home, to, to, to especially to people who have elections this November. Right. So now we put off the evil day yet again until March. And we're going to see the same thing enacted again in March. They're going to say, well, but the Democrats just won't agree. And, and there's nothing we can do yeah. because they control the Senate as if, and we've discussed this before, so suffice it to say, as if there were no such thing as saying, okay, then we're simply going to shut things down. That line of log- with that line of logic, we'll never get anything into control. Yeah. Because well, they're always going to threaten them. They're always going to say, you're going to, we're going to paint you this way and then you're going to lose re-election. All right, we have one more story. And this was, I think, kind of unexpected. And that is that Ron DeSantis is out. On Sunday, the Florida governor announced that he's suspending his presidential bid and that he's endorsing Donald Trump just two days before the New Hampshire primary. So, Steve, I want to go right into you with this. Uh, were you surprised that DeSantis dropped? I was, but I have a theory. And I think it's basically DeSantis is dropping out because, first of all, he's, he may have run out of money. He can't see a path to winning, like he said, but also to help Donald Trump across the line because apparently the New Hampshire primary, which is Tuesday, by the way, is going to be close. That may be the only close one. Well, the polls are showing more and more and more of a, you know, a widening gap between oh, okay. Trump and, 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 uh, and Miley Miley Cyrus? <laughs> Miley Cyrus, really? <laughs> they got the wrong oh, really? Nikki Haley. I don't know why. It's the same There's number like, of syllables, but other yeah, than that, yeah. they have virtually nothing in common. Well, maybe more than we would think. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're probably both immoral yeah. figures, but other than yeah, that. Yeah, a little bit of a, a little Freudian slip there. I don't know what that was. Anyway, yeah. but but as far as, as Santa's concerned, it's clear that his campaign is running out of money or has run out of money. The, the money people have already are signaling their preferences either for the establishment candidate Haley and, mm. and, and their influence there is not inconsiderable. She yeah. has quite a few big money people who don't want to see another four years of Trump, mm-hmm. and the rest of them are going to Trump. I mean, in fact, we had, we, we had Jamie Dimon, of all people, yeah. who was the CEO of J.P. What's Morgan Chase, mm-hmm. coming out and saying, well, actually, you know, if Trump gets reelected, that wouldn't be such a bad thing. You know, he might be a little bit unstable or whatever. He says some weird stuff, but his policies are good. So translation, he may make he mean ill advised tweets and say some crazy stuff, but he does know how to do business. So that's an indication. Is he signaling the writing on the wall? Quite the possibly. Financial? Quite yeah. possibly. But I think, you know, in terms, but, you know, Ron DeSantis is still in political terms a relatively young man. Yeah. I don't know that he would make a bad president, although he does have establishment compromiser written all over him increasingly. I don't know the man personally, so I, I, I want to hesitate to pass He's got a Justin. great record as a governor, though. He does a lot pretty of people well. say all this stuff, but it's like, mm. look at his record. That was one of the best records, especially during yeah. COVID. Yeah, I mean, he does come across as being a little squishier and more more polit- politician-y, certainly than Donald Trump, but pretty much anybody would. Yeah, yeah, to compared Trump. to Donald Trump. Yes, he's the very antithesis yeah. of a political political. I really creature, thought, so. I got this one wrong. I remember, I, you. I don't know if it was you who was here or, or Gary, when he entered the race, I thought this was going to be a knockout brawl, like it was going to go down, and I was obviously very wrong. It's Trump all the way. 
the people who would vote for the DeSantis maybe in four years or eight years or whatever, they're Trumpers now, it seems like. Yeah, and, and DeSantis may end up being his heir apparent down the road. We'll see. He's still, as I say, a fairly young man. Trump can teach him a few things. I don't know that he'll be invited to be part of the Trump administration or anything like that, but yeah. I, I think that uh, there are some things he can learn from Trump's example because he does, he has done and said a few things that that look like he's backing off a little bit mm. and uh, maybe maybe tempering his his yeah. fire and this kind of thing, whereas Trump never does. He never gives an inch. No. And um, this is pretty much what the way the left does it. So, you know, I mean, people are starting to realize the only way we're going to take back the country is take the fight to them. Yeah. Metaphorically yeah. speaking, people. Yes, yes. Legally, peacefully. But yeah, I don't think anyone's crazy enough to to do what's going to be needed to do. And, and that's going to be Trump. Other than Trump. Yes, other than Trump. Coming up, the March for Life continues in Washington, D.C. Hey, America. How tired are you of mainstream corporate media's biased narratives and manipulated news? Their dishonesty and attempts to influence this generation have been exposed, put on display for anyone who's even half paying attention. But the New American Magazine has been an honest source of news and commentary for over 50 years. This is your opportunity to receive the stalwart of principled journalism at a deep discount. Picture a beautifully published magazine arriving at your doorstep twice a month, packed with insightful stories written with integrity. It's also available digitally on the New American's mobile app. Get up to speed with intelligent coverage from a freedom perspective. Right now, for a limited time, the New American is available to radio listeners at a 25% discount on a new subscription. Visit thenewamerican.com slash radio25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at thenewamerican.com slash radio25. The New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this polished collector's edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community, among many other topics. Now, the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self-Reliance, The Foundation of Freedom. 51 years ago today, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down one of the most high-profile, anti-human, anti-God, and controversial judgments in American history. Roe v. Wade made abortion legal on demand nationwide. In January the following year, Washington, D.C. hosted the first March for Life, an event that has continued every year since. The point of the event has been to right the wrong that was Roe. Pro-life dreams were realized, at least in part, with the court's decision in June 2022 when the Supremes overturned Roe. But the National March for Life continues. The organization explains why on its website. Quote, even with the wonderful blessing of Roe v. Wade being overturned, which allows more freedom at the state level to enact pro-life laws, the necessary work to build a culture of life in the United States of America is not finished, end quote. Among the organization's goals is to protect the Hyde Amendment, 
passed by Congress in 1976, the Hyde Amendment limits government funding of abortion on annual appropriation bills. But Congress has changed the original Hyde Amendment several times. Obviously, they could do the same again, so there's no telling what can happen in the future. So pro-lifers march on. Now, despite the harsh winter storm that hit Washington, D.C. on Friday, thousands of people from all over the country gathered for the event. And before the march, attendees rallied on the National Mall, where they heard many government officials, pro-life personalities, and faith leaders speak. Among them was U.S. House Speaker Mike Johnson of Louisiana, who gave a powerful personal testimony. Here's part of it. It was the great uh, British statesman G.K. Chesterton who famously observed that America is the only nation in the world that was founded upon a creed. And he said it was listed with theological lucidity in the Declaration of Independence. What is that creed? What is it from our nation's birth certificate, the Declaration, that makes us who we are? We know the language so well. We hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, obvious, that all men are created equal. Not born equal, created equal. That's what the founders said. That's right. And that they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, including the right to life and liberty, pursuit of happiness. Those are inalienable rights. They cannot be taken away. And, and so it's from the very beginning that our founders boldly proclaimed those self-evident truths, that our rights do not come from government. Our rights come from God, our creator. That's right. And it also means that every single person has inestimable dignity and value. And your value is not related in any way to the color of your skin or what zip code you live in, what, how good you are in sports, where you went to high school, it's irrelevant. Your value is inherent because it is given to you by your creator. Our national creed is the essence of who we are in this country. It is the foundational principle that made us the freest, most successful, most powerful, most benevolent nation in the history of the world. And we can never forget that. I am myself a product of an unplanned pregnancy. In January of 1972, exactly one year before Roe v. Wade, my parents, who were just teenagers at the time, chose life. And I am very profoundly grateful that they did. The National March for Life also vows to grow a strong state march for the life initiative since the pro-life battle is now at the state level. You can find the states that already have pro-life marches along with the dates for those events on the March for Life website. If your state isn't already listed, you can contact the organization to get one started. So joining me for this segment is senior editor for The New American, Rebecca Terrell. Hi, Rebecca. Hello, Paul. How are you? Good, good. So so there's still so much work to do. And this was anticipated. Um, you obviously anticipated. We talked about it. Everyone who... All the pro-lifers knew that the work was not even close to ending just because Roe v. Wade was overturned, huh? No, oh, you're exactly right. Well, I mean, one thing that we need to acknowledge is that the unborn uh, person is a person and should be protected under the 14th Amendment, just like all other people are protected in the United States. And that would solve the problem right there, wouldn't it? But yes. um, no, we, we have... Um, uh, you know, I thought it was very impressive that we at least we have a, a Speaker of the House who acknowledges that our rights come from God and acknowledges openly, too, that he was pro probably a candidate for abortion, you know, back when when he was born because of his, his mother and father's situation. So um, and he's very glad that they chose life. Uh, we have 10 states right now that protect 
unborn life without any exceptions. Wow. Uh, only that means 10. there's 40 that don't. Right. Exactly. Now, there are there are others. There are five others that protect it, except in the case of rape and incest, which you have to say, why is it the baby's fault? Yeah. But, um, you know, OK, so but that's 15. That's still a minority. We have a lot of states out there that allow abortion. And really, Roe v. Wade only restricted states from um, restricting abortion during the first trimester. It, but, and, and let's see, don't even get into the trimester thing because that was something that they thought up. You know, it wasn't it, this age of viability. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's what I'm referring to. The, the age of viability changes based on the person, based on uh, current medical knowledge and, and abilities, uh, technology. Uh, so, you know, all of this business about viability, um, we need to acknowledge what's, what medical science already knows, and that is at the moment of conception, changes take place in a woman's body that prevent her immune system from destroying that new little life, which it identifies as a foreign being, as not part of the mother's body, yeah. but as a separate being. And we already know that. Medical science has known that for decades so we need to acknowledge, even from, even if you want to leave out the spiritual aspect of it, that life begins at conception and deserves to be protected. Decade, not- yeah, I mean, decades of Roe, I think another, one of the biggest problems is, in addition to the fact that it allowed you know, this free-for-all as far as killing babies, is that it created a culture that we see now where people think, that killing this this person inside you is a right because it's inside of right. you. So we have a huge battle on our hands, including in the infor- the information battle, getting people to realize it's not a right to kill another being inside of you. And these little babies are slaughtered. This isn't just, you know, you take a pill and the problem goes away. These babies are... And OB-GYNs, there are not that many OB-GYNs, to tell you the truth, who are willing to perform abortions because one of the things that you have to do after an abortion, no matter whether it's first trimester, late term, what have you, is count body parts. And when you have to count body parts and you have to watch on that screen, that ultrasound and watch that baby pulling away from the torturous instruments that are used, you can't do that for very long if you have any kind of a conscience or any yeah. kind of a heart, um, that's, this is, this is not just murder. It is slaughter. It is, you would, if you saw somebody coming at someone with a knife and stabbing them repeatedly over and over and cutting them to bits, you would immediately, your reaction would be to go help that person, save that person. But it, that, you know, for some reason, just because that person happens to be in a in a very confined area and completely unable to defend himself or herself, mm-hmm. it's okay. No, no, well, it's definitely not okay. What 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 do you suggest to people listening? They need uh, should they go onto a March for Life website? Do they get involved? Because, like you said, ten states said no. That leaves forty others, uh, maybe right. five tentatively or whatever. So I'm sure there's a lot of people watching there in one of those states. We have a few seconds. What do you what do you suggest? Right. Absolutely, definitely. March for Life is a great place. The uh, Family Research Council has a has a great map of states, and you can find out what your the status of your state is there. All right. Well, thank you, Rebecca, and thank you for keeping an eye on this. And we're going to keep. We're definitely going to watch this because there are massive implications here. Next up, they're about to experiment with bat viruses in Colorado. 
1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive, it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the U.S. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly, some are innocent families escaping hardship, but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists, is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the U.S. be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control, immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at thenewamerican.com slash out of control. Healthcare workers in Colorado have received a live Ebola vaccine for preventive measures. That's according to Immunize Colorado. They have a Merck's Ervibovax in case of a future outbreak. The timing and the place are interesting. According to investigative journalist John Fleetwood, just north of Denver Health, where they work, a new $12 million U.S. taxpayer-funded lab is being built in Fort Collins, Colorado. The Daily Mail reports that the lab will import bats from around the world and experiment on dangerous diseases. Dr. Richard Bartlett believes this could be the setup for the next pandemic. He warns that the lab is funded by Peter Daszak's EcoHealth Alliance, the same group linked to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He says untreated Ebola has a 50% mortality rate and an astonishingly high shedding rate of 31%. Dr. Bartlett received a meritorious service award from Texas Governor Rick Perry, who appointed him to the Texas Health Disparities Task Force. He has nearly 30 years experience as a general practitioner, an emergency room physician, and he's the medical expert for several media outlets in his region of Texas, including CBS. He has been four times elected president by his peers of the Ector County Medical Society. So he's certainly someone we should take seriously. The New American senior editor, Rebecca Terrell, recently interviewed Dr. Bartlett about his bat lab and the Ebola vaccines that doctors and nurses in the area have already received. Here are some highlights from the interview. Within the last two months, we've seen evidence that they're making a bat lab in Colorado, in Fort Collins, in association with the Colorado State University. And the funding is over $12 million uh, of U.S. taxpayer dollars that's being funneled through Ecos Health Alliance with Peter Daszak, who is the same way that they funded the Wuhan lab. You remember when Senator Rand Paul had a fistful of evidence and he was on the Senate floor waving that under the nose of Fauci saying, you funded gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab, and, and Fauci was denying it, denying it, saying, I didn't. Well, the rest of the answer, if he was going to be honest, is it was being funded through Eco Health Alliance, Peter Tazic. That seems to be what we're coming down to. And so you have the same uh, underhanded way of funding with the same characters, Peter Daszak and EcoHealth Alliance are involved in funding this new bat lab in the middle of our country in Colorado. And so that's one piece of evidence. Another bullet point is Denver Health has just vaccinated paramedics, nurses, and doctors at, in Denver, which would be the main medical center for a crisis in Colorado, right down the road from where this bat lab is being created. 
just vaccinated them to Ebola with a live Ebola vaccine. Why would they do that? Live vaccine. A live live Ebola vaccine. And the reason they would be doing that possibly might be because it's been uh, listed that they're going to be doing Ebola, COVID, and Nipah virus research at that lab. Then they're importing bats from Asia, i.e. China is in Asia. And so uh, the picture is becoming pretty clear that we have a potential disaster being set up in the middle of our country right now. Right down the road from Cheyenne Mountain, right down the road from the U.S. Air Force Academy. uh, So right in the middle of our country, they're setting up a bat lab for for research, i.e. genetic engineering, on Ebola, which has never been a problem in the United States. And and when you look at Denver Health's press releases, they say they're doing this uh, to, to in anticipation of a possible outbreak. That's never been a problem in Denver, Colorado before. It's a lot different than Africa. Has there been anyone anticipating an Ebola outbreak? Well, the WHO has listed the nine potential uh, culprits for COVID out, for pandemics and epidemics. Three of those are on their current list are COVID, Nipah virus, and Ebola. So all three of those are on the top nine that the WHO has listed as future pandemics. And so we've already gone through COVID, but apparently they don't want to let go of that. So they kept that on the list. But the other two are there, and they're in, they're actually vaccinating with a live vaccine called Ervibo. Uh, that's the name. That's the brand name of the vaccine, a live Ebola vaccine. And when you look at the FDA package insert, Rebecca, it says that it has a 31% shedding rate, meaning that people have this in their body fluids and they can spread this. They can infect others with this live Ebola that's in the vaccine. Yes. And so here's what we do know about that vaccine, Rebecca. In Africa in 2016, 2018, 2020, 21, and 22, five outbreaks of Ebola. Vaccine campaigns five times uh, in close proximity temporarily to those outbreaks with the same vaccine. The Erebo vaccine was actually in five vaccine campaigns in Africa, and they had five outbreaks in Africa in 2016, 2018, 2020, 2021, and 2022, with not just people getting sick, but thousands of deaths each time. And so they were dying literally from Ebola, not from any peripheral secondary problem. So that's what we know about Erbibo's track record in Africa. The other thing that I found was interesting that we have been able to put together, not only, so the bullet points are, number one, they're vaccinating. Denver Health just vaccinated for for Ebola. Mm -hmm. Second point. They are making a bat lab that's going to be studying Ebola. They're shipping in bats from Asia. Hey, one of the countries in Asia is China, uh, which there was a report that they were studying Ebola at that Wuhan Institute of Virology in 2017. Wow. So so what is being brought in from China? Uh, Bats, possibly. Ebola, possibly. And we have the same suspects, Peter Daszak, EcoHealth Alliance involved in in the funding with U.S. taxpayer dollars, no one asked me, I'm a doctor, no one asked you, 
No one asked the citizens of the United States if they wanted something like this in the middle of our country. Right. And so what could go wrong? Well, uh, you know, I think we saw what happened in with COVID, which was a coronavirus, which normally is not deadly, but Ebola is deadly. Yeah. And so Ebola has a 50% uh, death rate, mortality rate, if untreated. And so here's another interesting thing we uncovered, uh, Rebecca, that uh, there is a pharmaceutical company in North Carolina, Red Hill Biopharma, that has been tasked by the U.S. military to come up with two new Ebola medicines, antiviral medicines, that will be used in tandem with remdesivir. Oh, not remdesivir. that. Boy, we learned a lot about remdesivir. Uh, initial studies out of New England Journal. Right. There was a chart that showed that uh, initially there were three uh, monoclonal antibody uh, infusions used made by three different companies and remdesivir and antiviral tested against Ebola in trials in Africa. In those initial trials, remdesivir was dropped because initially there was a 53% death rate with the with the patients that had Ebola treated with remdesivir. Right. In other words, your, your chance of dying was 50% from the disease, but if you had the disease and you had remdesivir in the initial charts, they were printed in the New England Journal, and you had a 53% chance of dying with remdesivir. So it was dropped from the trial in Africa with Ebola. You can watch the entire interview at thenewamerican.com under the video tab. In the meantime, for those of you in Colorado, the John Burr Society encourages you to use our band gain of function in Colorado action alert. The Colorado General Assembly needs to enact legislation that prevents this and other gain of function research in the state. Go to jbs.org, pull down the Take Action menu, and click on State Alerts. Then click on Colorado, and you'll find the information there. You can also join the Facebook group called COVID Bat Research Moratorium of Colorado to stay abreast of information as this ongoing story unfolds. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. And remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. 